0: It's great so we don't have to wake up with shoulder pain. On top of that, it's been really fun for me to see him have so much success because it's been selling like crazy. Anyways, if you're a side sleeper, I highly recommend going to pillowcube.com and getting one for yourself.
1: Period of Earth when we met in in actual groups of people and I would stand in front of a group and do surveys, right? And one of the surveys that I would, would do, and I did a bunch of these last year actually, well, I mean, like right before the pandemic, right? And that was, you got a group of business people and you say to them, so when it comes to video, how many of you take video out of your marketing budget? And you have, generally speaking, almost 100% of
0: the room raises their hand.
1: And for how many of you does video come?
0: Happy to be here, man. So I'm pretty excited to have you on the show. I I've read, they ask you answer your book. I've got it on Kindle audio and hard copy. I've done the, <laughs> and I've so I've Thank done you. the original maybe eight times on audio, Audible, and then the updated I've done twice on Audible. But but I'm really excited to talk about the visual sale, of your new book. I'm yeah. I I'm almost done my second time through it, and and I love it. So, You're a prolific
1: uh, reader, I gotta say, Jess. You you are you're you what what they call an infovore right you just <laughs> you, you you consume it all man and I, I don't
0: even know how you do it but it's impressive well you know i got to tell you Part of it is I used to, so I average maybe, depending on the week, two to four books a week, right? Just sped up on, on Audible. Mm-hmm. And uh, a couple of years ago, Ryan Holiday, the guy that wrote School sure. is the Way to Much this, Ryan Holiday was saying something about, hey, maybe it's not so important to read so many books. Maybe we need to read the best books more. And it really slowed me down. And now I, I, I still love the new ones and seeing what's out there. And I'll listen to a new book, you know, sped up as fast as Audible will go just to see what it's about. But I, I have spent more time on the ones that on the ones that have had extremely practical, useful work. And that's you know, the reason I've recommended your books like crazy well, all over the place. Cool.
1: You know, it's cool that you say that. One of the goals that I set for this year was I wanted to absorb, keyword, 12 books. Absorb 12 books, right? And and I always go back to that phrase that, you know, we've probably all heard. But, you know, we have a choice. It can be our goal to just get through a book or have the book get through us. And so I want to have that book, assuming it to your point, assuming it's good, right? I want it to to get through me, become a part of who I am afterwards. And so I'm, you know, one of the things that I've done starting this year much more so in the past, was I, I, I black out all information and I listen to the book with a notepad. I actually do better listening than I do reading with a notepad. And what's funny about this, I got I to gotta admit something, too. I know this is a little bit off topic, but I got to admit it anyway because, you know, we're talking about the subject. I used to not read a lot. And the reason for this, and I feel stupid now for this, Jess, but I used to not read a lot because I felt like, you know what, I'm out there. I'm constantly producing content, and I don't want the content I produce to be based on somebody else's content. I want it to be original, right? That was my thought, which one could argue, okay, yeah, that makes sense. And so I realized in 2020, I felt like I wasn't being inspired enough, right? In other words, I wasn't just, I wasn't feeling it enough. So I started reading more, but with the, with the purpose of absorbing the book. But here's what I found. Here's what I found. What I found was, as I was prolifically jotting down notes, as I was listening to the books, occasionally reading, but mainly listening with no distraction, what I found was the notes I was taking had nothing to do with what I was listening to. And so the point, and you know this, Jess, right? Because, I mean, you live this life, right? But the key for us, I think, is that we put ourselves in a state of flow where the thoughts are just coming. And it's not so much about necessarily what that book is saying but it's what our brain is doing and how it's therefore able to open itself up to our current state, our current world. And therefore that's when inspiration happens. So I feel dumb for that, but that's, that's how it went for me over the last year.
0: You know, I actually really identify with that. And I, you know, being such a book nerd, I'm, I planned on being an author forever. And I finally, I finally committed this last year to <laughs> to my book. And so i I'm working on it. Uh, I've made some progress. But w- you know, because I've ADD, I've got a good amount of progress on three books. And so <laughs> I'm having to like, you know, do the Gary Keller one thing and like pull back to like, which mm-hmm. domino is the first domino, right? Mm-hmm. But I- I'm interested with that, that you're talking about. Are you familiar with this guy from Texas, Austin Cleon? He's got a book called Steel Like an Artist. No, all some no, others. You might really enjoy that. He He really goes through what he calls the myth of originality. Okay.
1: All right. It's
0: a, it's a, it's like, it's basically like a picture book. It's super fun to read. My kids love it. It's, it's funny. he like has all these like cartoons and stuff that he's drawn with like a Sharpie marker. Okay. But, and there's, there's more in the series show your work and these other ones, but, He's a, he's a poet that like does blackout poetry where he takes a newspaper and like blacks out all the words except a few for his poems. Okay. <laughs> oh, nice. But he's, he's really a highly regarded creativity expert and it's very similar. There's a YouTube series by Kirby Ferguson called Everything is a Remix. Okay. Where yeah. he goes through and he shows you where George Lucas stole these shots that are in Star oh, Wars. He yeah. goes through which songs Led Zeppelin stole to make these. He goes through. and, there's and there's I a hate TED the Talk word.
1: on that too, I think, right? I, I, I
0: think. Well, and he's got fam- a famous TED Talk. So maybe it's yeah, the same one. Yeah, it must be. Yeah, it must be that He one. goes through the iPhone and he shows you all the features and where Steve Jobs got them from and stuff, right? And I hate the word steal. And I wish the book wasn't called steal like an artist because it creates such a negative. Sure. But, but this idea of like, he says, there's bad stealing. When you take one person's stuff and claim it's your own, that's plagiarism. That's bad stealing. Right. But he says, if you steal from a hundred people, people will call you so original and they call it, they call it research. right and, well,
1: <laughs> There's a lot to be said for that. It's like, you know, it's like, I, I, I look at uh, somebody like Seth Godin who I really enjoy, but you know, Seth really hasn't done anything. Let's call it original per se in a while, but what he's done, he's, tells other companies' stories better than they can themselves, right? And the same thing is for Adam Grant. And you look across the board, it's like, these are folks, Dan Pink, these are folks that are not necessarily creating something new at all. They just tell other people's stories better. And because of that, it resonates with the marketplace, which I think is pretty interesting. Yeah.
0: So so have you decided your 12 books for the year? or I haven't, any of them?
1: Decide, I haven't decided my 12 books for the year. I did my first one which was 12 months to 1 million which was essentially a, a book about launching a product you know which is something I've always been interested in having had multiple businesses right and I'm um, like, yeah, I think that would be fun and stimulating, right? Because I'm on, the, I'm, I'm at that point where I've sold companies now, and I'm just looking to do cool things that give me stories to tell. That's what's interesting to me at this point.
0: And you know what? And I guess we should back up for anybody listening that doesn't know your story. Can you, can you give the, the quick, the quick version of the Marcus Sheridan super story? Fast for, yeah.
1: Started a swimming pool company with two buddies out of college in 2001. Almost lost the business because of the economic collapse of 2008. And because of the strain we were under, financial, I was about to file bankruptcy. I really started to lean into the internet, learn about the internet. And when I, as I was doing all these studies about the internet in 2008, 2009, essentially what I heard in my simple pool guy mind was, you know, Marcus, if you just obsess over your customers' questions and you're willing to address those questions on your website through text, through video, you might save your business. So I said, well, shoot, that's that's certainly something I can do. And so we decided to embrace a philosophy that I called They Ask, You Answer, right? Which is an obsession with the way buyers think and the willingness to address their questions, good, bad, or ugly. And so we essentially became the Wikipedia of pools, River Pools and Spas did. And we became the most trafficked swimming pool website in the world. And through that, I became one of the largest installers of fiberglass pools in the U.S., but I built a manufacturing company through that. That was the thing that I didn't see coming at all because I was getting so many leads from around literally North America that I'm like, why don't I turn these leads into revenue? Selling the leads is dumb. It didn't make any sense. I'm like, let me start a manufacturing company. So I started a manufacturing company. It was acquired this last year. It, Congratulations! It was, it was it was it was just an amazing ride. It was an amazing journey. And I still own the original company. And we have franchisees now all over all over the country. It's been amazing. I have a marketing agency and I speak full time, except when there's pandemics. Then I just talk on Zoom all day long, right? And give virtual speeches if there is such a thing, right? But that's been my journey. It's been an amazing ride. They Ask You Answer, the book has done exceptionally well. And what's so interesting about it, Jess, and I really appreciate what you said about it, it's selling more today than it did four years ago when it came out and you know a lot of books can do well in the first 6 months if you can build up some cool launch campaign i'm the worst launcher of books in the history of the world i just don't really get into it and i know it's terrible but i'm i'm just don't get into it i just i just hopefully the book will speak for itself and you know and the results will carry the day so they ask you answer has done really well and you know, I didn't get enough time to talk about video and they ask you answer. And I think it's such a big freaking deal. And everybody knows it is, but so few companies are really truly doing anything about it that I decided to write a book on video, of course. And that's, you know, part of our conversation today the visual sale. But the twist was I wanted to start it from a different perspective, which was sales first, marketing second, which most companies, 99%, definitely do not do.
0: Well, you know, I think about how many copies of your book I've given away, how many CEOs that are, cons- you know, clients of our consulting firm that I also have to talk them into reading it, too. Do you know what I mean? Because I want, th- right? Yes, and yes.
1: That's a th- huge part of the battle is just get them to read the freaking thing. Take the time to read or listen to the dumb thing. Yes. Yes.
0: Well, that's why I always buy them on Audible because I'm like, listen, when you're doing the dishes, mowing the lawn, commuting, I know we don't do that right now, but okay. Right. <laughs> but the two, like the two things I've stolen the most from you, which I do credit you for, but the the one is when you ask people, Hey, and I'm going to mess this up. So I guess they're not direct quotes, but Hey, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, what percentage of a sale was happening before yeah. somebody talked to your salesperson and they give the, whatever number it is. And then what do you think that is today? And regardless of what they answer, I quote you that people say it's 70, 75% on average of the research has been done online before they actually want to talk to somebody at your company. Yeah. And, it, and it, whatever their number was from 10 or from 15 or 20 years ago, it wasn't 70 something percent. And <laughs> no, then I say, not. I quote you and say, well, what do you think it's going to be 10 years from now? You think it's going up or down, right? Yeah, that's right. So that's right. my sales pitch for your book that I use consistently which I was using literally. The reason I was a minute late today was I was pitching <laughs> some people at Bloomberg, one of our clients that we make videos and podcasts for, the renewable energy side. I was pitching them on why they need to read the Visual Sale, and I said, "Well, you know, they ask you answers." He's like, "No." I was like, "What? This is like the, you. What do you mean?" I was like, "This is this is what you do. It's it's a book that will teach you everything you need to know about turning your website into the number one salesperson in the company." What uh, you do is every question that's ever been asked to one of your salespeople, you have a blog post and ideally a video on the website for it, even pricing, even if the answer is it depends. You explain to them why it depends. Okay, so, pretty good, Jess.
1: You're doing a really good job, by the way, of, of <laughs> perfectly simplifying what it is. And that's the thing about the whole concept of they ask you answer. It's grossly simple, grossly simple, yet still most com- companies won't do it or they'll
0: overcomplicate it. But it's such a competitive advantage. You think about, you know, drinking eight out eight ounce, you know, drinking eight glasses of water, or getting up and getting your exercise in every day. S- simple concepts not executed by many, right? Yep, that's right. It's it's such an unfair advantage. You know, you think about the way Warren Buffett talks about his principles for investing. He says he he describes his system as simple. His partner Charlie Munger says. It only takes two week. It would only take two weeks to learn how to invest like Warren Buffett. It's just business schools wouldn't have anything else to teach for four years, so they overcomplicate <laughs> things. Okay, but there's, you know, again, I've been obsessively reading your books and recommending them. So I've been really looking for this conversation. So I'm like, yeah. In my mind, I'm going through so many questions I want to ask you, but sure. I think one that I want to start with is this second time through the visual sale, I've been picking up on so many things that just they. they they didn't strike me the same way because my business was in a different place. Cause I read it as soon as it came out and yeah. we made some big changes at the end of the year. And I was wondering if we could dig into maybe some of the nuances that not everybody picks up. Like I, I thought your recommendation of start at the bottom of the funnel, like have your video be like the conversion video. Like my, my default has always been start at like the most awareness top of the funnel concept. And as soon as you said that, I thought, Oh my gosh, Think about proving ROI to the business. Think yes. about like proving ROI to myself, even if I'm mentally committed, if I know this video made me the money, it, it, it like helps me hack my own procrastination to do more of them. Can you talk about that concept oh, yeah. and so, any others?
1: So, so you know what's what's fun for me to do back in, in in the period of Earth when we met in in actual groups of people. And I would stand in front of a group and do surveys, right? And one of the surveys that I would would do, and I did a bunch of these last year actually. Well, I mean, like right before the pandemic, right? And that was, you got a group of business people and you say to them, so when it comes to video, how many of you take video out of your marketing budget? And you have, generally speaking, almost 100% of the room raises their hand. And for how many of you does video come come out of your sales budget? And all of a sudden, nobody raises their hand, but everybody's got this look of, "Huh, huh, never thought of it like that, right? Because fundamentally, video should come out of the sales budget. And there's a bunch of reasons for this, right? But if you think about it, how many companies have tried to do video, but because they didn't, quote, see results, let's just call it that, yes, that the CFO one day came and said, I'm just not seeing where we're getting any fruit for what we're putting out there. Because eventually the CFO, the accountant, the person that's responsible for the bills wants to know, is it making me any money? I'm not saying that's a good mindset, but that's the reality of a business. And as soon as we accept that reality, we say, okay, how do I get everybody really excited about the revenue that in this case, video is creating? Well, that's why we start really in many ways the book when we talk about different types of videos with that 80% video that's that's mentioned in the book. And I just love the 80% video so much. And this is a classic example of how a video could help you tomorrow. If you go to any sales team and you ask them what percentage of the questions you get on the first sales call are redundant. In other words, you know they're coming. You just know they're going to ask. Generally speaking, you're going to get a number anywhere between 70 and 90%. So in other words, we already know before we even have a sales call, what questions? 70 to 90%. They're going to ask. We know these things. Yet, we continue to bloody answer them, Jess. It's the craziest thing, right? So what would happen if, what would happen if, before you had that conversation, before you met with that prospect, not only did they know the answer to those 80%, but they had heard it from you. They had learned it from you. How would that sales appointment be different? And whenever a salesperson hears that question, they're like, it would be so different. <laughs> it would be so nice. And just go down the list. Would it shorten sales cycles? Yes. Would it increase increase closing rates? Yes. Would there be all these benefits? Would it improve morale? Yes. And this is how you get sales excited. This is also how we eliminate silos between sales and marketing. This is how we get them aligned. This is how we get them on the same page. That's why it's called the 80% video because you take those top questions that you know you're going to be asked and you produce one video That addresses those top 7 to 10-ish questions that you're going to be asked, and you make sure the prospect views it before that initial sales call. And by doing this, you completely alter your sales process. This is so simple, Jess. And that's one video. If you just do that one video and you learn how to integrate in the sales process, your sales team will never be happier.
0: You know it it makes me actually think of a a question i'm I'm wondering if you haven't been asked. I know you get interviewed all the time. so you've probably been asked everything. But one of the things we're focusing on this year is, you know, now that we've done like five hundred episodes of the podcast we've got we've got a lot of people, we've been thinking like we want to make it more interactive. so we're going to start kind of our own version of Wall Street Journal Live. We're going to, we're doing Greystoke Live, okay? Okay. So nice. our first one is the Family Wealth Council. We've got a couple of billionaire clients and family office and we're, We're having some of our like finance interns do free deal sourcing for them and some of that kind of stuff. But the other one is for entrepreneurs who kind of want to use these Warren Buffett type principles to make their company worth more when they eventually sell it. And my first thought is I'm thinking about like, and I don't mean like small business where you're getting like essentially a real estate agent, business broker to sell your restaurant. I mean like an entrepreneur, like a real company, you know, like, right. And I'm thinking about these processes that can take 12, 18, 36 months. And I'm thinking why wouldn't, why wouldn't we put this in our data rooms? Like if you have a legitimate private equity buyer, who's trying to sort through these reports and figure out the narrative, like this is potentially the largest financial event in the life of this entrepreneur. If they built the company for 30 years and they're now going to retire, right? Yeah. Like tell me if you disagree, but it seems like they ask you answer and everything from the visual sale could be applied to the selling of a business now behind a passworded paywall, you know, not paywall behind a passworded uh, data room site, but any thoughts on that concept?
1: Well, I mean, I mean, I've got a lot of thoughts on it, right? Especially having just, just gone through this process of acquisition. And knowing that if it wasn't for they ask you answer, the acquisition never happens, right? I mean, what are they really buying, right? They're buying the most traffic swimming pool website in the world, and they want to be able to have that now influence. It wasn't about necessarily what was the PNL or or what were the manufacturing projections for our company it was this company owns the conversation in the fiberglass pool industry. And because they own the conversation, we want to own the conversation. There is something to that. There's something incredibly powerful to that, right? And so the idea that somebody wouldn't do this, I mean, if you're ever looking to scale and eventually sell your business, which I I think, I mean, if you have a business, if you're not looking to do those things, there's a good chance you're probably off track, right? So if we're not doing those things, I think we're crazy. And the time is now to do this. The time is now. And there's so many other reasons to do this. I mean, I just, I could go down the list. I mean, you just mentioned like an original usage for being viewed as the thought leader of your space. But there's so many others if you think about it, Jess. I mean, let us let me just give you one other example to this. Think about for a second how much, how much training a great salesperson needs to have when it comes to the company, the company messaging, answers to the questions that the rest of the sales team gets all the time. How much training and therefore education is necessary for he or she to be effective with their job? Now, what percentage of organizations have truly a world-class educational onboarding experience for a salesperson? Answer, very, very few. They learn on the fly, which means they're losing money in the field, a lot of it early on, because the experiment is happening with the stinking customer. Whereas if you do this well, if you answer your questions, your customer's questions well, if you really have this amazing repository through text, through video that truly is addressing the good, the bad, and the ugly that the sales team is hearing all the time, that becomes the ultimate training ground for that team. Now, don't even get me started on HR. Don't get me started on how this could benefit with recruiting. The list goes on and on. Sometimes, though, we only look at it from a marketing standpoint. Hopefully, we look at it from a sales and marketing standpoint. But to your point, Jess, it goes way beyond that.
0: You know, I think about, I think about I don't know that I have like the great one-liner sales pitch for the book, the visual sale, even though I'm telling people to read it these days, <laughs> but one of them, one of them, I think has to do with just my own preference, which may not be the greatest sales pitch, but I think how often I'm trying to figure out exactly what these guys do and how I would use it. And they're trying, they've got all of this clever language that some copywriter wrote that is not succinct. And there's something about like the use case and the visual aspects of the use case that let me adapt it to my own situation so much faster than pages of copy. Mm. And I don't know, I think about like, you know, in for 50 years, some of the smartest people at Harvard tried to convince us all that we were rational beings. And I think it's mostly because we would like to think of ourselves as rational beings. So they tried to claim that humans were rational. Okay. And there's that great guy, I wish I could say his last name, but he wrote the book um, Descartes' Error in like 97, they showed... That when the brain makes decisions, there's there's you know, it goes through the traffic cop traffic cop part of the brain, the thalamus. And if we if we kick the tripwire, the amygdala like sends cortisol into the bloodstream, like the happy Gilmore, Happy Gilmore movie, right? Right, okay? right. But if it makes it through, it goes to the logic lawyer, the frontal lobe part of the brain, which is like that annoying part of our brain, like the logic lawyer that weighs things out endlessly, right? But he proved some other part of the brain lights up before you make a decision, and it's the limbic system, the emotional judge, because that's where our emotions are made. And essentially, it's this idea that for a sale to happen, and we actually, so we've we've taught this to some intelligence agencies and special ops guys mm-hmm. in our consulting firm, when they're trying to sell somebody on helping them, okay, but it yeah. doesn't have to be a money sale, but... It's our emotions about logic that cause a sale to happen, right?
1: Mm, that's a great point.
0: Yeah. And words can do that, sound, you know, words can do that, text can do that. I like I obviously have an audio platform, right? I believe in audio. But when you think about evoking emotion, besides being in person with sound, text, seeing, like the the what do they call that mirror neurons of seeing another human or whatever, Mm -hmm. like video is so clearly the number one emotion generating format on earth. How could every sales, like I I consider myself a lifelong sales guy. got my first sales job 15 years ago. Even though I'm in the CEO of a private equity fund, I just consider myself top sales guy. You know what I mean? So this idea of like, lower the bar for the whole team of how good a sales reps they have to be because they could become curators of the videos on our site. Oh, you've got that question. Let me click this one on the iPad for you. Right? Like, anyways, I know I'm just preaching to the choir here, but.
1: Well, yeah, but the thing, the thing about it is if we can show the thing, it just might stick. But if we can't show it, there's a good chance. There's a better chance that it will be forgotten. That's the truth of the thing, right? So, The goal is that we can't just tell it that we have to show it. And it is so many different things, Jess. I mean, there's, we could go on and on. And that's the thing about the book is, and you know this about me at this point, Jess, I'm not a big theory guy. Like, I don't want to just give you this idea without talking about how does it apply to you and your business. I want to give you very specific takeaways that you can do right now. And with video, there's a lot of things that you can do right now that you haven't done before that are going to be effective. And it's super frustrating for me because if you look at companies around the world, the number one video that everybody produces is the about us video. Yet I have yet to see any salesperson say, you know what, if we just had another about us video that I could show to this prospect, I just know that would take them over the finish line. It doesn't work that way because what the buyer wants to see is two things. They want to see themselves in someone or something and they want their questions answered. So for example, everybody's got reviews these days on their site. It's like, Hey, look at our reviews. Okay. That's fine. But do you have a video that's an actual customer journey showing the day everything went wrong, the problem they had, the need they had, the issue they had, the journey they went on with you to solve said problem, and where they are today because they solved that problem, right? That classic hero's journey, the customer journey. That is a video that everybody should have, and you should have multiple that match what your ideal customer, persona, buyer, whatever you want to call it, looks like. Think about it. What's one thing that all marketers realized about about selling stuff on TV in the 1980s? If we just have customers telling how this actually worked, we'll sell stuff. That's how infomercials made so much stinking money. The whole core to effective infomercials was the customer journey bits in the infomercial. Believe it or not, infomercials still work really, really well. The psychology is the viewer sees themselves and the buyer, nods their head in affirmation of, yeah, that's me. I have the same fears. I have the same worries. I have the same frustrations. Look, they solved the problem. And if they can do it, I can do it too. Yet most companies... I, I guarantee you right now, Jess, for those that are listening, and you get a crap ton of listeners on this podcast, if I asked your audience, do you have a video, at least one, and you should have at least half a dozen, but do you have one video that shows an entire customer journey, their story of their need, and how they got to the solution side. How many of them have that? It's less than 1% of the listeners right now. You want to talk about amazing fodder for your sales team? You want to talk about immediate ROI? That's the type of stuff that gets results right there, Jess.
0: So, you know, I told you we're making some some changes to the business. And as you, I'm like sitting here taking notes about two customer videos that I have not made that I need to make that you just yes. described. Yes but like as you're talking, I'm thinking I I literally wrote down three customer names right now that for this new this new direction where we're focusing on this entrepreneurs MA council of helping we're putting like CEOs from the same industry of a similar size together to talk through how do I make my company more seller? It's like more of like a peer taught thing, right? Mm-hmm. And I thought, crap, I have three clients right now that I've helped either through the MA process or selling their company. Like, I need to go back to them and make that video. Like, why haven't I done that? Like, I do read your books and I think, oh yeah, I got to do that one still. I got to do that <laughs> one still. I, if I could brag for one second, I'd like the one thing where I have followed your advice, I uh, I used to, I took a break from finance and I went and worked for the consulting firm we used to hire. They're called the Arbinger Institute. Okay. Yeah. And, and I talked them into making one kind of video that you like, if people read the visual sale, and they only got this piece of advice from you. I talked them into making videos that were that were not about Arbinger. It was like, can we tell a story of a problem in your life and how you solved it where we are like the byproduct. we're not the like it's not a and then they were so good to me staged videos it was like just a problem and while i was there the company doubled in size okay it was a boutique size firm but after i left i came i went to lunch with the ceo maybe two years later and, and he bought me lunch and he said thank you he said Since you've left, we've doubled again. And I think the number one reason is those videos. Mm. And it's like, it's It's so simple. And, and like, I think about all the other things in that, like, I think your book is worth its price a hundred times over for that one video, let alone all the other ones that you're telling people they should make. But it really makes me go back to this, this same thing on the selling the company. I think about this advice of like, what can entrepreneurs today learn from your experience? Right. And... This idea of like, let's face it, a buyer is, in some cases, they're buying your users from your app, or your eyeballs, or your website or something, right? But but the far more common case is they're buying a future revenue stream. They're saying, hey, we think that this is the reliable, you know, what we think you're going to grow through over time reliably. I'm willing to give you this money now to so that I can gain that over time, Right. And yet isn't, isn't sales the number one, what if factor there? I mean, think about a company that gets a higher multiple or a lower multiple. If, if the buyer, the private equity fund, the family office, the competitor, whoever's buying it, if they're like, oh man, if the main guy lose, you know, if the main woman who runs this show leaves. How many of the customers are going to leave with her? That is going to give you, instead of a 10 times multiple, you're going to get a three times or something, right? That's right. That's right. If people literally just took your two books, this is my advice to any of my customers who are listening right now in our Entrepreneur m Council, buy both of Marcus's books. If they just did those two things, their ability to prove to an acquirer, look, we have a systematic way to both yeah. generate new leads and move people down a funnel. That is not a big sales pitch. The buyer can see it for themselves right on your website. I mean, talk about proof, right? That You
1: make such a, a, a great point, right? Because we talk about scalability. And the reality is lots of times individual talent doesn't scale. It's systems that scale. And the system that we're talking about is being the trusted voice in your space. We just got to happen to do it through text and through video in this context, right? We're talking about video today. Never has video been easier to produce than it is right now. And the problem is we still see it as the redheaded stepchild of even most marketing departments, whereas we don't give it its due. And if we really understood what was happening right now with the way buyers and consumers consume, learn, and make decisions with respect to visual and video, every single one of these listeners would say, I'm going to do whatever it takes to hire a full-time videographer, whatever it takes. I don't care what I've got to do. I'm going to do whatever it
0: takes. P.S. Thank you for preaching the message of insourcing, like bringing that in-house. I mean, like, and I say this because I've got friends and clients that own marketing agencies, except for a very specific kind of video. Okay. Yes almost all of them are better made in-house, right? You are so freaking oh right. Yes.
1: <laughs> you now, are so not right. At first,
0: the first ones aren't better, but That's the fact right. that you're going to get X number of videos this year, so you can afford to throw away the first ones instead of paying five, 10, 30, 50, a hundred grand on those ones. You can't afford to throw away. Anyways. I just, I love that. You message. make a great point. All right. Because
1: there, we have this choice. We can insource, we can produce it ourselves. We can outsource it. We can ask somebody to do it now. Am I anti-outsourcing? Well, no, I'm not anti. It's just that you – look, why did we get into business in the first place? Because we want to control our destinies. And if you want to control your destiny, one of the huge keys to that is the ability to produce your own content. And not have handcuffs, not have some agreement that says, as part of working with this agency, and I own an agency by the way, right? So do you, Jeff? Right? As part of as part of this contract, you get you know four blog articles and three videos a month. It's like, and if that is even going to go well, they have to embed themselves in your company just a bit to produce it the right way. That article, that video. So why not do it yourself? I mean, for the love of all that's pure and holy, a videographer today. Hire one on LinkedIn. Trust me, they are, there are so many. The supply is so high for videographers. I have helped so many companies hire these and you do not have to break the bank to find a solid videographer. There's so many out there right now that are looking to exercise their skills and to help you show your story. Just remember this though. There's a difference between creating documentaries, which is what a lot of videographers do, feel like they know how to do coming out of college versus creating sales and marketing videos. There is a difference between them. And this is something that companies have to get used to. To your point, Jess, there's a learning curve. You have to crawl before you walk. You got to walk before you run. It's the same with video. Do not think for one second that you're going to come out and you're going to produce those Mercedes Benz commercial style videos for your company, nor should you. I look at the original videos that I did for Riverpools, man, and I'm telling you what, you want to talk about a train wreck of epic proportions, visually, audio, I mean, bad, yes, bad, just like your first podcast, you're like, oh, oh my gracious, the audio kind of stanky, right, it's like, what was I doing in the editing, it's all these things, right, but we get better. The companies that are perfectionists do not thrive in the digital age. I repeat, the companies that are perfectionist do not thrive in the digital age. They never ship it. They never accept that it's going to be a 7 or 8 out of 10. They say, it's not up to our brand standards. And they don't get anything great accomplished. And they feel so good about themselves because They didn't lower their standard, yet some teenager with a freaking flip phone was figuring out a way to make millions in their market simply because they were willing to ship it, produce the thing, tell the story. This is the mindset that we've got to have. I'm not saying that we put crap out there. What I am saying is our mindset has to be progress over perfection.
0: You know, my biggest addiction in life is snowboarding, right? (laughs) And hence the reason I... Built a house outside of Park City in the mountains at the edge of the U International Forest. So we can snowmobile, snowboard. I didn't know you lived in Park
1: City. It's cool.
0: Yeah, yeah. Come out, come, come. We'll go do that. I would, I would love to. I've
1: spoken in Park City. I love Park City.
0: Okay, so you have to be prepared to spend two days on your butt at the resort with this with a sore tailsbone if you want to be a snowboarder. That's what it takes, right? Mm-hmm. And I think about, I think about my own insecurities and fears, as you're talking, and I'd love to have you weigh in this, I feel like maybe so much of this has to do with identity and insecurities. I think like, when you, when you think about the resistance for this, like, you know, I guess I kind of have an agency, we don't do, we don't do work for anybody else except ourselves, except for Bloomberg, (laughs) Because I'm trying to take your advice, you you start out with the beginning of the visual sale of everybody needs to become a media company. You've got whatever you do and to be a media company. Yes, and so that's why we took on this work. We produced a show called Switched On about renewable energy for for Bloomberg, and they've they've recently hired us to come do some of their videos. And it's funny because bureaucracies are so big, sometimes it's easier for them to hire a contractor than to get some other division to do work. Oh, absolutely. That's right? very true. Uh, but but it's my intention to like look at Mike Bloomberg makes like three percent of his money from his news channel and 97% of his money from selling those terminal computers, except except his marketing department, his marketing department makes his sales so easy because nobody says who's Bloomberg, <laughs> right? Right. and and its his marketing department is a for profit department cuz it's a media department right so i figured if we work for them if we work for them we can learn more about being a professional media company okay but i think about this like why haven't i made more videos of myself other than this kind of thing and i think some of it comes down to insecurities and not being honest about like hey this is like snowboarding you're going to spend some time on your butt and like yes. i'm probably going to have to throw away first videos when i teach stuff about warren buffett and compound interest investing right and like i think too like this identity of like the the logic for Building an internal media capability within your business is so financially unassailable. You know, having marketing department either become break even or po- cash flow positive, right? But but just the idea of like having having a sale be seventy percent done before they talk to us, right? And not on forums and not on somebody else's. Like I heard they charge this much. When everybody like, right. as soon as you don't find pricing on a website, you Google what's their pricing, and all sorts of other people get to control that conversation, right? So my guess is and I'd love to see if you see this different and I apologize that my converse, my questions are like 5 minutes long on this episode. <laughs> You're good man. Okay. But I wonder if it has to do with the identity of like well we're not a media company. So there's this mental block that we can't we can't hire those capabilities. And I wonder if there's insecurities of, I don't want to get in front of the camera because I've gotten to this far in my career and I'm the CEO and I want people to think highly of me. And those first ones, I, I don't know exactly how well they're going to go. Do you agree with me though, on those being giant concerns? Do you see it differently? What do you think? So uh, let me
1: just pose it like this. How many times has a buyer been on a website and said to themselves, man, love to see a video on this. Okay. They don't have any videos, but that's okay. Because you know what? Videos just not their thing. Plus they're probably pretty nervous on camera. So let's just give them a pass and call them anyway. Like never in the history of the world has anybody thought like that because inherently as buyers, we only care about ourselves and our ability to make decisions and eliminate the concerns that we have. You see, the problem is too many businesses allow their personal opinions to screw up smart business decisions. Well, my personal opinion is, I don't really think we need video. Well, my personal opinion is, I don't really watch videos, so why should we be producing it? Well, my personal opinion is, we're not a media company. (laughs) Okay, sure, but the problem is, your opinions, as we know, don't matter. My opinions don't matter. The only opinion that matters is that of the marketplace. They dictate the market. And so successful businesses release their opinions all the time and they move on and they do what's necessary. Personally, I'm not on Facebook. I don't like Facebook. I think Facebook is the evil empire. Now, Is River Pools my swimming pool company on Facebook? Yes. Why? Because that's where the marketplace is. And I'm not going to boycott it because in that case, it's different. It's my business. You see what I'm saying? I get over myself. And this is what we have to do as businesses. And I'm not sure if that's a great answer to your question, Jess, but dag on, this is a big problem. And we have to remember that it applies to everything. Just because you're not good at accounting doesn't mean that you shouldn't learn how to do your numbers as a business owner. Yeah, it's either learn it or hire it, right? That's exactly right. But you can't ignore the thing. You ignore the thing and all of a sudden you're in trouble.
0: It's it's interesting how many of, I think my biggest business failures come from self-focus. Instead of being worried about my staff, mm. instead of being worried about my customer, it's come from self-focus. Yeah, that's a really, that's
1: a very self-aware thing to say. And you're right, because because if we allow the customer to always be our compass it's really amazing what can happen now this doesn't mean that we just go on every whim like every like little customer trend we're like oh i'm going to go do that thing now yeah. but it means that ultimately when it comes to pivots our pivots are guided by what is the marketplace saying? What are they asking? What are they fearing? What are they wanting to know? Because if we do that, then usually that's where innovation occurs. You don't have to invent something new, some technology, to be innovative in the marketplace. All you have to do is talk about it, show it, or sell it in a way that nobody else is doing. If you do that, you'll be one of the most innovative in your space. And that's why people see us at Riverpools as innovators. And people see, you know, they ask you answer as a very innovative book. But as you know, Jess, they ask you answer had nothing new to say. It just said it in a way that it was so easy to understand that anybody could say, you know what? Why are we not doing that? This is dumb. This is so obvious.
0: It, it's funny how many people I've spent to River Pool Spa or I send them to Impact. Everybody should be going to Marcus's website, impactplus.com, <laughs> by the way, and Thank see you. that he actually – eats his own cooking yes we um, do you know I, I wish we could had like 10 more hours because I've got enough questions for you but you get interviewed a lot you could be on stage a lot what's what's a question people don't ask you that they wish they, you wish they would ask more
1: well I, I think that and that's a, that is a tougher
0: that is a that is a tougher
1: question something that they
0: don't ask
1: me that I wish they would ask. or
0: just what's me. something that you're passionate about that you feel like maybe not everybody else sees as much as they could even the people reading your stuff?
1: I think, yeah, I think that there is glory in simplicity. And I don't think we talk enough, you know, there's this phrase by small things are great things brought to pass, right? Right. Good phrase. And so if you look at what what is happening with businesses today, if you look at what's happening online... It's the ones that just do the little things and they do it well. And then all of a sudden, because they do all these little things well, they do something great. and Everybody says, man, look what they did. It's so amazing. But they did all these little things, right? And it's not necessarily sexy. It's not necessarily what, you know, it's not a big deal. But in my case, you look at the Riverpool story. What do we do well? Well, we just listened to customers' questions. And we were willing to answer them on our website. And we did it over and over again every day until we became the most traffic swimming pool website in the world. Didn't overcomplicate it. That was it. That was really it. And this is available to any of us, Jess, right? So I think we don't, uh, you know, there's this one phrase to end with this, and uh, like this thought, this phrase, it's dumb not to dumb it down. And I don't ever want people to listen to me, let's say on a stage or read, they ask you answer and say, man, that guy's a genius. Because if they say that, what does it mean? It means what they did was so incredibly intelligent that I don't know if I could ever do that. I don't want anybody to say that. Here's what we want them to say This is so obvious. This is so stinking, like, duh. That gives me great satisfaction when people tell me that, right? People would think, Does that bother you? No, it gives me tremendous satisfaction. Because it means it was well understood. The light bulb came on. That's the way you should produce your content. That's the way you should write. That's the way you produce your videos. You don't do these things to sound smart. The moment you try to sound smart, that's when we start to look stupid. But if we just seek communion, now all of a sudden we're gonna experience some special connection in the light bulbs again.
0: will come on. It's funny how so many of the most powerful principles it's almost like their simplicity on the other side of complexity, you know? Yeah. You know, I'm interested. You've got obviously, you know, so many readers of your books and you get paid paid the big bucks to go speak on all these stages. And there's there's so many great videos of you out there and stuff. And people hire your agency. And I'm sure that you have a lot of people who come to you and be like, Marcus, I love your stuff so much. And then they want to tell you how they're already doing it. That's it just my guess. Okay. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm not saying, you know, this we, we still need some, we still need some help, right? It was my temptation to try to like, tell you the one time I did it right. Okay. <laughs> what are some of the rookie mistakes? You know, people who they're trying to commit, they believe, they they've got that this is so obvious and they're telling themselves and they convince their business partners to pony up some budget and time and stretch themselves. What are some rookie mistakes?
1: Yeah, there's, there's different ones. Sometimes what you see is, just, let's talk about it from a content production standpoint. They'll tell everybody on their team that they have to start producing content, which is naive. You should get somebody in-house, like an in-house journalist, if you will, that taps into the brains of your subject matter experts. But don't try to turn your team to Victor Hugo. That's a big mistake, right? They already have jobs. Right. They, ha- they have jobs. Now, should they avail themselves to marketing and come prepared to answer questions? Yes, they should, right? Just like they would come prepared for a customer. So that's a big mistake that we see. Another one that we see is there it becomes a marketing initiative and not a company-wide initiative that the company doesn't understand the why. You've got to, again, you've got to start with sales. You know, I've I've taught so many in-house workshops, I guess probably 350 over the last 10-ish years. And I always have one requirement. Your sales team has to be there. I don't care if your marketing team's there. they're already eating the dog food. But Your sales team has to be there. If they're not there, I'm not there. So that's the deal, right? So that's a mistake that we see often. Another one I just mentioned, companies try to sound smart. Or they, to our other point today, they try to get it so perfect that it becomes just caught up in the red tape. And it doesn't get produced. The, to your point, Jess, the bur- bureaucracy right holds it up, and they—it's almost like they're writing the Declaration of Independence. You know what I'm saying? It's like, come on, you're not—you're not doing that thing. And so they don't—they don't turn it over. We see other classic mistakes. I mean, frankly, there is a quality and quantity component of content. It's very, very hard to become. A premier thought leader of your space unless you're consistently producing good content and you say well what does that mean well that means you're probably producing at least three good pieces of content a week it's probably what it means and i'm not talking about for a podcast or something i'm talking about if you if you have a learning center slash blog on your on your site you're really trying to build it up like really make some magic whether it be a youtube channel or whether it be your blog you really get that traction well, you're probably gonna have to produce content at least three times a week, you know? That's just that's just part of it. It's no different than, you know, one of my goals this year is to really continue to expand my reach on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is my platform, by the way, if you're listening to this right now, make sure you follow me on LinkedIn. I publish something every day on LinkedIn. Last year, it was every other day, but I'm upping my game this year because I want to continue to do it. And so, I'm going to maintain high quality, but the quantity does matter. And so, you can't, you can't overlook that and just say, well, I'm just do, do one amazing piece a month. That would be nice. It just doesn't work.
0: And by the way, folks, Marcus is good at LinkedIn as verified by a third party. One of, one of my really good friends who I do some stuff with that's a LinkedIn expert named Josh Steinley. I'm gonna tell a story on you Marcus Marcus Josh, cool
1: dude I like Josh
0: Marcus out of self-awareness reached out to Josh and said hey I'm looking up my LinkedIn game will you have a look at my stuff and Josh is a very I'm just gonna call him picky Josh is picky he's very detail conscious and he told me that Marcus's profile was the only per- was the very first and I think still so far the only person he's come back and said no I actually wouldn't change anything <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I, didn't I didn't know that backstory.
1: I didn't know that backstory. I remember I approached him and I said, Hey man, you know, I mean, you're, you're a LinkedIn baller and um, I'm looking to up my game. And he came back and he said, I'm not sure I can help you. I said, I said, okay, that's cool. You know, tracking in the right direction there. I love LinkedIn, you know, just because it's still for the most part, just business people, leaders, team members trying to improve their professional lives and personal lives too and it's not it's not so fake you know it's it's not perfect but i think it's one of the best out there
0: well and you can still get organic reach
1: oh yeah it's great reach man uh
0: i know we're winding up on time here can you talk about a a concern maybe a, a growing entrepreneur ceo would have of but if i become the face of the company then i'll be stuck there forever and this idea of like you can get rid of those first videos, you know. it's well, is just, not all just, the videos yeah. at River's Pools and Spas it's, anymore. It's, yeah, it's just not true,
1: right? It's not true. You can transition, and I was the face of river Pools. I was probably the, the one, like the premier faces of, of the in-ground pool industry. And today, you don't see me at all. And I've got my head of marketing is on all the videos. His name's Christian. He's the face now of fiberglass pool industry in many ways and of the company in many ways. And then there'll be others too that will come after him. And so you can release that. You don't have to worry about that. The goal is to the point, again, don't overcomplicate it, but it is good to humanize it. So should somebody do it? Yes. Should maybe more than one person do it. If, if you have that capability, go for it. Absolutely. Get multiple faces, multiple voices, right? If somebody is a good teacher, if somebody's a good communicator, they would be great on camera. No question about it.
0: Can you speak just for a second about the value to your other brands that you paid the price to write great books, build a speaking career and get out there and teach? And just like somebody who's saying like, I'm already so busy running the company. I, I, you know, I'm kind of interested in that. I don't know. I don't know if it's really worth my, my time and effort to, you know, writing a book sounds like a lot of work and I'd really like to speak, but you know, it seems a little daunting to get into it. Can you talk about what you feel like the business benefits are to be willing to, you know, get out there yourself?
1: Well, I mean, there's, there's there's no question about it. You if you are doing this stuff, you are going to affect your other companies. The fact that I was on so many stages brought so much attention to Riverpools. I mean it was it was it was crazy, right? And that in many ways just kept the momentum, the story of Riverpools growing and growing and growing. So that was just one of many things. And I think also when somebody is really at that state and they're, and they're teaching, communicating at a high level, they will be a better employee. They're going to be a better contributor. It's just going to all bring it. It all comes back, right? This is why we want our team members. We want our employees to get out there and to, and, and and to put themselves out there and build their brands as well.
0: Well, this has been great. Let's wrap up here. Where's the best places for people to connect with you or buy the book or where do you want to send people today? Well, first of all, if make sure you connect with
1: me on LinkedIn, if you have a personal question for for me, you can find me at Marcus at Marcus Marcus at Marcus and the book just you can grab it on Amazon. They ask you answer the visual sale. They're both there. Check them out. And Jess, this was really, really fun, man. I love your style. I love your energy. I love your way. I'll have to get out to Park City. Got to make that happen. But man, thanks for having me back.
0: Yeah, thanks so much. Bye.